You're listening to the Pimp Cron Podcast. Welcome one and all to episode 238 of the Pimp Cron Warhammer Podcast. That is the 238th time that I've said that, and that's really hard to believe. Over the last, what, four or five years? Uh, five years we're coming up on. That is crazy. So anyway, uh, we are brought to you today by GameMat.eu for pre-painted uh, resin terrain, neoprene mats, STL files, all that, with Event 10 as 10% off your order. Then we've also got Panhandle3D.etsy.com is their new website link. And they've got engraved uh tumblers mug tumblers they've got um custom dice trays they've got 3d printed terrain they've got a ton of stuff so you should go over there and check out what they do um custom combat gauges all that and um they are ph 3d 15 off for 15 percent off your order in case you didn't you know connect the dots there and then we've also got my beautiful sexy good smelling very very coveted patreon patrons Thank you all for supporting the show. I truly do appreciate it. You are the super fans. So what are we talking about today on episode 238? Well, we're discussing if you hate tournament restrictions, are you just a bad player? Is That's the main question, and I'm probably going to piss a bunch of people off. So what else we got? We've got the corn shaman guy for want that or want that not. And then we've also got a letter from Ben, and he asks a couple things, but one of them is... Why does my wife hate my hobby? And that's interesting to discuss. So what have I been up to? Um, rebuilding the Shorehammer website. Had to delay ticket sales from April 1st to April 7th. So I hurry up and getting all that done. Organizing with my various tournament organizers to get their, their write-ups of the events that they're going to do and the narratives and all that. And um, what else? Um, I don't know that I played any Brutality this year, this week, but... I did have my meetup at the library with teens. Remember, I've been doing that once a month. Um, this is the second time we've done it. And I'm pretty excited to get people, you know, young people into it. Um, this week, only one guy came. His other two friends couldn't come because of various school things. But I am making headway with this kid because he, the very first time he came, he was being a little bit stickler on the rules about a couple different things, even though he didn't know the rules that well. And um, I was like... I was fudging stuff. I'm like, you know, we weren't using chapter tactics, but he was kind of getting his butt handed to him. So I was like, hey, other players, do you mind if he uses his Ultramarines tactic to retreat and still shoot? Because he was very shooty and they were melee. And they're like, oh, sure, whatever. So we're I'm trying to teach them. And uh, what was it? Plato said that if you want to control the future, control the children. I think that's what it said. Anyway, you get the point is that I'm trying to foment a friendly casual, non-competitive atmosphere with these kids. And the first time we met this kid, Max, um, he's 14, I think. Uh, he was a little bit more competitive. He was really trying to stomp his friends. But this last time, I played him because it was just him and I and his mom. And he was much more relaxed, much more casual. And, like, for instance... He, uh, we had this building in the middle. We were fighting over this uh, research outpost. I brought all my grots and he brought his space marines and he rolled the dice and it bounced into the building and he's, and he lifted the lid and, and it was a six and he's like, Oh, uh, does that count? It's in the building. It's not on the table. And I said, well, since it's a six, yes, it counts. And we laughed about it. Well, then later on, 
he rolls the dice, and it was a pretty crucial roll. He rolls the dice, it bounces into the building again, and he lifts the lid, and he goes, oh, it's a two. And I'm like, yep, nope, doesn't count. Take it out, re-roll it, because it, was, it wasn't on the table, and then he laughed. So he got the point that I was just going easy with him. Who the hell cares if one roll, you know, is a, is a success or whatever. Um, so that he, I think he's getting the idea that, hey, we're not trying to kill each other here. We're just trying to have fun and tell a narrative and all that. So I introduced slight narrative elements to our thing about the research outpost. We had an objective on the front and the objective on the back, and it was turned sideways. So there's one on our right, one on our left, and we were trying to control that. Um, he beat me three to two, which obviously I'm still not really trying to beat him. So I was I accidentally got two points. <laughs> so I was actually going to go for one point, but I figured he would shoot me off the second objective. But then he, like, didn't. I, I don't remember why. I don't know if he chose a different unit or whatever. But it was three to two. He still beat me, and that was my goal. So uh, we, we had fun. So um, we're going to slowly start expanding that. He said they're going to put up a flyer at the high school or something. So I'm excited about that. Maybe get some more people in. And um, But speaking of children, okay, I had a pretty bad time at the club this week. And I'm sorry, TJ. You've already heard it. I'm sorry, Nick. You've already heard it. Some of my guys that listen, probably uh, Elijah probably doesn't know anything about it. He, he was there, but he didn't hear it. Anyway, sorry to all of you who have already heard this story that you were there um, or, or I told you. But I was, I've not been this mad at the club in quite some time. And it's because I lost. No, it's not because I lost. This guy, uh, <laughs> he is definitely uh a tryhard definitely i mean like he bought a brand new army of um world eaters just because world eaters are good i mean not a single one of his models are painted he he just does whatever the the cheese is and um he basically he usually he insists on we play his way in in the past we've had situations with him where he's like i brought 2000 points and someone's like well i only brought 1500 can we do 1500 he's like no i only brought 2000 and i'm like Hey, asshat, you can cut off 500 points off your list. But we were just, we just accommodated him. We're trying not to be rude. So we changed who was playing who that night to accommodate him. And he basically tries to stomp every single person that he plays. He's very, very disconnected socially. So maybe he's on the spectrum or maybe he's just out of touch. I don't know what the deal is, but he really pissed me off this week. I'd been avoiding playing him because I knew he was going to bring some cheesy shit his tactics, his actual tactics on the battlefield are not particularly good. Um, and he actually definitely falls into the category of people I talk in the real talk tonight. But I had been avoiding him since he, he, he joined the group. And he's a nice enough guy. I mean, that's, that's not really the issue. He's pleasant to talk to. But he stomped James because he brought Imperial Knights and James had nothing to deal with Knights. That was one time. He um, stomped TJ because he brought Imperial Knights and... TJ was Grey Knights, and apparently that didn't work out very well. And uh, he stomped someone else. I mean, he basically he brings the highly, most highly tooled list he can with the very best stuff. And it's only about winning. It's not about friendly banter. It's not talking. It's none of that. So I decided, okay, I'm going to do everything in my power to limit this guy's cheese. So remember, we got two kids, an 11-year-old and a 14-year-old um, in our, our regular club. I said, okay, what I'm going to do is normally with these people, if you limit their points, that cuts out a lot of their cheese. So let's do a two-on-two -two game. I played with the 11-year-old. 
And we each got 750 points each. That's 1,500 per side. And this guy got 750, and he was with the 14-year-old. Well, he starts mentioning bringing Angron in a 750-point list. Now, unfortunately for me, you know I don't follow the meta. I don't follow the news and rumors. I don't even look at the new models coming out. I just wait for them to come out, right? Because a lot of times, like, six months difference in time and uh, just whatever. I don't, I don't get excited for much anymore. So... I forgot Angron was even a thing. So in my head, have you ever heard a word and then you just took it as a different word? I thought he was saying Scarbrand. Even I said the word Angron, but in my brain, I was thinking Scarbrand. I forgot Angron existed. Not a single person in my club owns Angron, to my knowledge. And they've, never, they've certainly never played Angron. And I completely forgot that he even came out. So... I kept, you know, he was like, oh, I'm bringing Angron. I'm like, whatever. I thought Scarbrand was a pretty cheesy thing to bring, but whatever. I didn't think it was that big of a deal. Well, after the first turn, and he got 39 attacks, um, he focused entirely on the 11-year-old that I was playing with. And he took out two-thirds of this poor kid's army on turn one. 39 attacks killed his flyer and three outriders it just, just in, in one attack. And um, so obviously the kid's like pretty downtrodden. Like, and meanwhile, this this person, <laughs> this person is like giggling and smiling about it. He's like, uh, 39 attacks. <laughs> and then he's like rolls him and he kept smiling at me. So I just made sure not to make eye contact because I was getting madder and madder. And, and I'm thinking, OK, I figured he would. I was banking on him toning it down because there's kids involved. I was banking him on toning it down because He's only getting 750 points, right? And no, he did not at all. He he spent most of his points on Angron, a Lord of War in a 750 list. That is, like, not socially cool. Yes, it might be legal, but it's not socially cool, especially against children. So this guy is staring at me, smiling with his grin on his face, as my 11-year-old teammate is just pulling everything off the board. Um, By the end of the second... The I mean, by the get, begin, end of the first turn, my teammate, they didn't even touch my Necrons. Like, my Necrons were, did not get shot. They did not get assaulted. They got nothing. It was, for whatever reason, all focused on the 11-year-old. So I was getting mad because this kid is clearly not having a fun time. Like, he's really, really not having a fun time. So it was written. I was not trying to hide it. I, it was written all over my face. And it's funny, I love my gaming group because everybody knows me and every single one of them was like side-eyeing me from across the table because they were playing next to us. And they're all kind of like glancing at me and I'm just staring at them and like shaking my head like, oh my God, I'm so mad. So I thought maybe that signal, you know, I, I feel like, yes, I could have said, oh, this is a strike against you for our club or whatever. You can't bring cheesy shit. I don't really want to be like that. I'm hoping to more subtly, like I told you before, I got no problem with bullying people into more casual games. I got no problem with that. Oh, well, that's what I want to play. If I had realized it was Angron, I would have said, I'm not playing you. I'm not playing against Angron in 750 points. You're just, I'm just not. So, and, and this might, some of you will go like, oh, he's a, he's a, you know, sissy or, or whatever. Dude, whatever. I work hard, I support my family, and I am not playing against some bullshit because this guy's got to get off on the on the table by bringing the nastiest shit in 750 points. I'm just not doing it. What it ends up doing is wasting my time. I don't play that much Warhammer, maybe once a week. 
So my once a week, I don't want to be wasted with this dude just, just, you know, giving it to me as hard as he can. I'm just not doing it. I'm too old for that. I'm, I'm not, I'm no longer being so polite that I will just let some dude ramrod me for a couple hours and me just go, oh, well, this was my one game of the week. I guess I, I guess I just don't have fun. Like, no, I'm not doing it. So it's partially my fault because I misunderstood um, who he was saying. When he said Angron, I thought it was Scarbrand. And Scarbrand's nasty, but I can handle Scarbrand. Um, and then he focused only on the child. <laughs> like, what the hell? That that was actually the part that made me mad. So for the first turn, I tried to subtly like give him hints. He's trying to joke with me because he was so giddy about all of his blood tithe points he was getting. And I was stone-faced. I was not happy at all. So I threw my Satan in there. I did everything I could. I I almost killed Scarbrand. Um, Angron. Here I go again. Um, I almost killed Angron in the first turn. But of course he comes back. Um, the second turn, uh, they failed to kill my Satan. But the second turn, they finished wiping out the 11-year-old. So that's cool. I'm glad he... I'm glad the 11-year-old had a lot of fun on Wednesday at the gaming club where we're supposed to be supporting and encouraging these younger people in the hobby. I'm really happy that happened. So as he pulled his last models off the table, then their team turned on me, which is like, fine, whatever. But at that juncture, I was like, I told him flat out, I was like, you know, and I explained the whole Scarbrand Angron thing. I said, you know, if if you had, if I had realized who Angron was in, in my head, I would not have played you. I just wouldn't have. I said, me and Adam would have played a fun, casual game, and you could have played someone else. And then I, later on, I was like, and he's like, well, Scar uh, Angron's not that bad. I'm like, no, he really is. In a 750-point list, bringing a Lord of War is is not that cool. And uh, so I was trying to, and I never raised my voice. I never yelled. I never cussed. I never anything. But then I was like, dude, this is the middle of turn two, and the 11-year-old is wiped off the board. And I thought he was 10. I was like, and the 10 year olds wiped off the board and the 10 year olds, the 11 year olds like, Oh, I'm 11. I'm like, okay. The point is <laughs> kid, you're not, <laughs> you're on my side. Shut up. Just, just be 10 for a minute. Um, <laughs> I was like, you know, he's off the board now. He's not having any fun. I'm not having any fun. Like we didn't even go after objectives. We, because, um, the 11 year old was dead. And I was uh, just going after Angron at that point because I was like, okay, that's my that's my goal this game. I'm not even going to go after an objective. I'm killing Angron. And I did kill Angron, but then he came back and it just it's just bullshit is what it is. And a 750 point game per person, that's just bullshit. So and, and I have no problem if you disagree with it. I mean, we can disagree and still be friends. You can still listen to the podcast and disagree with me, but I have no issue with enforcing how I am willing to play the game. And if, if other people in my club want to play competitively against each other, no problem. But I'm not up for cheesy shit in my games. I'm just not. So I have no issue with rescheduling or, or whatever. Um, so he never did apologize. Uh, he, he did, like, towards the end, I think he was finally getting the hint by the end of turn two. They wiped me off in turn three. Um, by the end of turn two, he was like, Oh, uh, you, well, Angron's not that bad. I'm like, what, what do you mean Angron's not that bad? He wiped out all of that side of the table, and specifically a child. Just, whatever. So I was I was pretty mad. And um, I'm not going to tell him two, three strikes you're out. Or I'm not doing, I don't like to be that authoritarian. 
he seemed to pick up on the fact that I was not happy. And I explained to him why I was not happy, because it's a shitty thing to do in such a small point game. So, hopefully, fingers crossed, I have my doubts, but fingers crossed, he's going to pick up on that, and maybe next time, he won't be so cheesy. But this dude, you should have seen the glee in his eyes as the 11-year-old pulled his army off the table. I mean, he he was... <laughs> I'm like, what the fuck? Anyway, I was pretty, pretty mad. So when we were putting our um, stuff away in our, our army transports, me and the 11-year-old, I said, hey, uh, next week, why don't you and I just play a fun game and then we'll have fun? And he goes, oh, that sounds good. And he was, he handled it very well. He just sat there looking down and he was very quiet the whole game while he's just pulling models off. Like the 11-year-old, for an 11-year-old, he handled it very maturely. So that's why I said, well, we'll just play a fun game next week. And then he seemed to perk up after that. So that made me happy that, you know, maybe he's not. I mean, nobody wants to be crushed, especially if you're a little kid. Nobody wants to just be wiped off the table. So anyway, that's enough tirade I've gone on today. I will see you on the next side of this music. Let's open the Tesseract mailbox. On this Tesseract mailbox, we have an email from Ben, and he writes in, Pimp, Pimperino, Pimperelli, Pimpernickel, Pimpalimpa-ding-dong, <laughs> Pimpalimpa-ding-dong, emailing it in to tell you that you should have also mentioned what army is the most expensive for 2,000 points. My guess is Custodes, because a lot of it is Forge World and the boxes are expensive. I might be wrong, though. Any idea? Well, this is his first question. Um, yeah, I could have went into what army is the most expensive for 2,000 points, but it didn't really fit the vibe of what I was trying to do. Also, I feel like that sort of commentary has been done a lot, where uh, they talk about the different prices and what's the cheapest army, what's the most expensive army, blah, blah, blah. So I just tried to make a more middle-of-the-road thing, but I do see what you're saying. And I would maybe say, uh, maybe say Custodes, Although you might want to go the other way. You might want to go with the cheapest army. It might actually be probably Graz would be the most expensive army because they're so cheap points wise, but they're like $30 for 10 of them. So if you want to do an all all Graz spam army, then that that might actually be the case. Plus, if you're doing all Graz, um, the Graz tanks are outrageously priced as well from Forge World. So that might be where you want to go. But here's the meat of Ben's question. Another question. Why does my wife hate my hobby? We spend plenty of time together. We get along. We are financially well off. But the minute I bring out the minis, she either A, goes out for some sudden reason, groceries, jogging, errands, etc. B, tries to get my attention with something like a movie or starts a conversation. Or C, side eyes me and gets catty. Help a brother out. I feel like she's being childish, but I figured I'd get a second opinion before we get divorced. Just kidding. Ben. Okay, Ben. Well, um, this, okay, specific, now, obviously, I don't know your marriage. I don't know if you've got, like, you didn't mention kids, so if you have children, and maybe you're hobbying when you should be helping bathe the children, or something like that, that could be part of the issue. There's actually a lot of things this could be, but I feel like I have a handle on what's bothering your wife just from what you've told me. Given the evidence that she goes either away, right? She goes into another room, goes out of the house, whatever. Or she tries to get your attention, or she just generally gets catty 
while you're hobbying. That sounds like she wants your attention. If she's leaving the house, she she could potentially be pouting that she doesn't have your attention, but also she could also see that you are busy with something and occupied, and then she goes, oh, well, now I'm off the hook. I can go get stuff done. So if she's not being catty and she literally just goes out for a jog, groceries, or errands, like you say, then maybe she's actually making the best use of her free time when you are otherwise engaged. So there's nothing wrong with that, okay? Then B is um, she tries to get your attention with something like a movie or starts a conversation, okay? That is probably literally trying to get your con- your attention. So whereas the first time she actually had other stuff to do and she didn't necessarily want your attention, the minute you break out the models, you're engaged and then she's free to go do what she wants, jogging errands, whatever. The second one is that when you bust out the minis and you're engaged and she wants to engage with you, suddenly she's like, oh, I'm, I'm losing them. And then she, she wants to talk to you, right? So that's what she's trying to bring you back into the, uh, the interaction between the two of you. And then the third one is she side-eyes you and gets catty. I'm wondering if the third one happens after the second one, where she's trying to talk to you. And then you kind of ignore her or you're, you're going, uh-huh, yes, uh-huh, you know, the one word answers. And then she gets catty about it because you're not giving her attention. So it sounds like when you hobby and you strike the right moment where she doesn't want your attention, then you free her up to go do something else. When she does want your attention, then she tries to get it. And when she doesn't get it, she might get kind of pouty or disappointed is, is a more respectful term I think I should use. She gets disappointed that she doesn't have your attention. So honestly, I think it's the timing of your hobbies with whether or not she wants your attention. So maybe the way around this, and I'm, I would never suggest anybody hide their hobby, okay? You should not only hobby when your spouse is gone or, or whatever. I'm not saying that because... Y- you do need your own personal time. That you stress I mentioned before. Um, you need that time to decompress and all that after work and after all your responsibilities. So a hobby is perfect. But maybe try to time your hobby when she's already engaged. Could you maybe maybe change your schedule around to when you know she's going to get groceries, then then you hobby, you know, or something of that nature. And you might be able to avoid that altogether. And hopefully you will not become another statistic, uh, as you say. Well, you didn't say that, but you said you guys might get divorced, lol. And I'm like, well, let's let's hope you don't. All right. Well, that is uh, that is my professional wargaming advice because I too have a wife. I call her wife. And <laughs> anyway, thanks for writing in, Ben. I appreciate it. You can reach me at pimpcron at gmail.com or facebook.com slash pimpcron or instagram at pimpcron with one p tv want that or want that not hey everybody it's time for want that or want that not do we want this do we want that not that's what it's all about i hope you not understand that by this point so Today, we've got the Realm Gore Ritualist for the Blades of Corn. All right. Now, I'm doing this segment specifically to prove my friend Nick wrong, because he said he had the audacity to say 
that I was wrong about the Slanesh character because I said he just looked like any other old Slanesh character. He wasn't unique. He wasn't anything. He, I discussed him like two or three weeks ago, and he's a perfectly fine character, but there's no aesthetic reason why I would buy him. He just, he would just, if you put him next to the archers or anybody else, he would just blend in because he looks just like him. He's not anything special. Same issue I had with the um, uh, Slaves of Darkness uh, HQ is that he just looked like a Chaos Warrior. There was nothing special about that. So I want my character to be unique. I want them to be creative. I want them to be eye-catching. I want them to stand out from the crowd if I buy a character. Well, my friend Nick, we're going to make him the straw man in this conversation. <laughs> He plays Blades of Corn, and he doesn't like the new Realm Gore cult Ritualist. Now, I understand that this character looks a little odd for Blades of Corn, but I want you to hear me out why it is actually a really good character, okay? So, let's, exp let's explain exactly what he is. He's a, I believe he's a priest. I don't know. I don't care about the rules so much. I'm looking at the model here. He's got a cool staff. He looks like a tribal sort of shaman. Right? They call him a ritualist, so he's like some sort of tribal shaman. He does not have all of the spikes and all of the skulls and all of the normal stuff you have in your corn army for your models. So he does definitely look different. He's got a staff with a helmet and it's got horns and it's got the corn symbol behind it. Pretty cool looking staff. On his base is a like a ritualistic pedestal, like he's stepping up onto it. Now maybe he would normally stand on this, maybe he'd sacrifice something on it. I don't know. There's a skull on that pedestal, and there are a couple skulls hanging from the horns on his back. This guy is immortal, so I don't think these are actually horns coming out of his back. I could be wrong, but it might. It looks like it might be part of his armor that has these giant horns with heads and skulls hanging off it. He's got some sort of ritualistic dagger. He's actually like 25% uh, nude. His thighs are bare. His forearm, I mean, his uh, biceps are bare. And he's got this cool skull mask that is, um, it doesn't cover his, his jaw, but it covers his li upper lip and up. And um, it's, it's a little, I don't know, decorative. It's got some horns and spikes on it and stuff. To me, this is exactly what I want in a character. And the reason why, hold on, hold on, is because he does generally have the aesthetic of the Blades of Corn, generally, but... If you recall, Blades of Corn usually have kind of a tribal vibe to them. They usually have, you know, top knots for their hair, and they're like shirtless, and they're wearing like leather straps and stuff like that. They've got fur boots. Um, uh, they're whatever those uh, whatever the the weak troops are called with a six up save, and um, so they they already have this barbarian kind of tribal kind of vibe to them. So this to me seems like a logical and interesting conclusion to the whole tribal and barbaric vibe you know barbarians had their um occultist representatives right i don't know exactly what they called them not shamans maybe a priest something like that maybe a warlock or something and then of course other tribes had witch doctors and stuff like that and this guy falls somewhere in between the first impression you get from him is kind of like a witch doctor with a tiki mask and all of that. Although, if you look at him, he doesn't actually have that. He's got this weird giant helmet with a little bit of a frill on it. But, like I said, this character checks off basically all of the boxes of what I look for in a character. He does vaguely match the theme of the army, so check that box off. He does have a completely different stance and a completely different profile. If you looked at just the silhouette of this character... 
you could more or less tell who he was if you already knew who this model was. So check that box off. Then he also goes with the motif of the army, but turns it on its head a bit and makes it more interesting, which is more of a tribal shaman sort of idea. Check that box off. That's three boxes checked off. Number four is you could not confuse him for blood warriors or anybody. I mean, you, you he looks so different and unique that you could not confuse him with another one of your troop armies or troop units. So if you had him standing next to it, oh, look, he's got a pedestal. He's got a staff. He's got this like weird headdress helmet. He doesn't look like them. So to me, I, I don't even know what his rules are. I do play Blades of Corn, but I haven't played him with the new book. So I don't know what his, his rules are. But for me, this checks off a lot of boxes and I like him. $35 is the typical hero price. I'm not thrilled about it. I think it's a bit high. Um, I definitely think 25, 30 bucks for a hero would be okay. 35 is pushing it, but they've been at that spot for a long time. So what are you going to do about it? Um, I did spite buy this guy <laughs> on our trip we just did the other day because they had him and they had the Slanesh guy. And Nick was like, oh, why don't you buy the Slanesh guy? You should, you should buy that Slanesh guy that you reviewed. I'm like, no, 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 I don't, I don't want that guy. He's boring. And then I'm like, oh, but look at this, look at this corn guy. I'm definitely going to buy him. And I like him enough to buy him, so I did buy him, and I'm interested to use him in my army because I have basically all mortals. I don't have a demon-heavy army, just like my um, Heed Knights of Slanesh. I like to do the mortals, so um, I might have a, a sprinkling a few demons, but it's really not a demon army. So this guy's a mortal, and he fits the bill. I don't know what his abilities are, but whatever. So I was going to buy him anyway, but I bought him on the trip specifically... <laughs> <laughs> as a spite against Nick. So, Nick, these are all the reasons why I like this guy over the Slanesh guy, okay? And um, he's probably still going to disagree with me. What he said is that, okay, so to be fair, Nick said that the Slanesh guy looks exactly like a Slanesh guy. He looks like he belongs in that army, which I don't disagree with. But my argument is that he's boring. Visually, he's boring. Nick said that this guy looks too different from the aesthetic of the rest of the army, which is kind of true. This guy does look pretty different from the rest of the army, even though he's got like the shin guards with spikes on it. And he's got a little of like the Baroque armor and stuff like that. He's got a little bit of that, but he is in a different direction for sure. But that's what I like about him. So unfortunately... This is just a nail in the coffin for our friendship because he already told me he loves Starbucks and I'm a, I'm a DD guy. So, yeah. Oh, well. Anyway, that is definitely a want that for me because this is maybe the first time this has ever happened, but I already bought the model. Now it's time for Real Talk with Pentcron. On today's Real Talk, I am going to potentially offend many of you. Many of you are going to nod your head in agreement and go, yup, he's completely right. Many of you who are probably the culprits in this are going to go, no, no, it's not true. <sighs> probably going to happen. So if you find yourself very defensive, that's your litmus test, okay? I'm not trying to call anybody out, but I've been playing this game for 14 years, and I've seen a lot of it. So there's another portion of the population here that will realize that they are this way. And there's probably nothing they can do about it because this is just the way they are. There's a whole other portion of the population that will not realize they're this way. They won't even get defensive. 
because they don't know they're this way, but they truly are and will never change. Okay, enough preamble, I think. What am I talking about? I run Shorehammer Convention. Uh, you probably know that if you've listened to more than one episode of this. It's uh, the, be- the beginning, the first weekend in December every year. Um, we just announced November 30th, December 3rd in Ocean City, Maryland. That's where Shorehammer is. I like my convention to be completely different from other things. I don't want you to be able to just go, ooh, meta number three, and print off that list and bring it. Okay, that's why our 40K is a Highlander. That's why we don't allow Lords of War. We don't allow Forge World. Um, there's a, there's always been a lot of restrictions on my stuff because I want people to rely on their actual skill in list building and actual tactics, not just, oh, copy paste the meta, teehee. I don't like that. You can go to any other convention, any other tournament, and copy your meta all you want to the live long day, but you're not doing it at my convention as best as I can help it. Now, there is a caveat to be made here. Sometimes, especially in Age of Sigmar, there are some armies that, like, if you tried to do a Highlander for Age of Sigmar, they have so few units. I mean, 40k players, you may not even realize this. Like, Flesh Eater Courts, they have, like, probably six units and, like, six heroes. That's it. So a lot of times, if you're playing a Highlander, you wouldn't even be able to get to 1,500 points for my tournament. If it was uh, Highlander or Fire Slayers. Fire Slayers get three units and then like 12 heroes. I've complained about that before. Like Fire Slayers need so much of a revamp and a better depth. Um, I did. Idana Deepkin kind of runs into this as well, where they don't have a whole lot of care uh, units. So there are some situations where some units become, uh, some armies become basically unplayable because the format. I do understand that. But be sure to be honest with yourself during this conversation and really try to see whether or not you are part of the problem or not for this. Ignoring all of the legitimate reasons why someone may not want to play in a tournament because of format restrictions such as Highlander or whatever. Like in my Age of Sigmar tournament, I don't allow named characters. Typically, um, it's just logical that named characters would be a better bang for their buck because they want to sell you on this big, beautiful model and... It's basically the same form uh, formula they use for Forge World. Oh, it's unique. It's different. It's it's a bit more powerful, so you pay more money so that you pay fewer points. It's just business. There's nothing to hate about it, but that's the way it is. So in my Age of Sigmar tournament, there is no named characters or uniques allowed. So you can bring all the generic characters you want, bring any other unit, whatever, but no named characters, no L'Oreal, no uh, you know Archeon, none of that. And then that changes the complete meta because a lot of the tournament lists for a lot of armies include named characters because they are better bang for your buck. They do all sorts of stuff. So that automatically changes the meta and makes people have to come up with their own list. Or even if they're not good at coming up with lists, they copy and paste that meta list and then they have to take out 300 points in named characters and then go, okay, now what do I put in there? And they have to figure it out themselves. That's my whole point. But there's a lot of people that start whining and complaining, oh, my, my army's just unplayable. And I'm remember, we're discarding things like Fire Slayers. They are definitely the outlier. Most armies have enough units, especially 40k, to play something like a Highlander, or let's say it was a, a tournament with all elites and troops, or whatever. Whatever the cockamamie restrictions are that you can think of, a lot of people hate change, and they hate going out of their wheelhouse. And... 
I have a theory behind that. Let's just start with myself. I don't care to follow the meta. I don't care to spend a whole lot of thought into my list building and the synergies and things like that because I like the most of taking what I want and then figuring out how to win with it on the battlefield. That is the the tactical aspect is what I like most. And the people that I know that are really good players have no issue with restrictions and format. I'm talking about your Andrew Hagenbottoms. I'm talking about um, uh, Leroy Jenkins. He was a uh, 40K champion year before last. Um, a lot of the people that I know that are really good players, not just list builders, but players, have no issue with the list restrictions. And the reason why, I think, is that A, they're a good enough player, they don't rely on the cheesiest of all cheese lists to win. And secondly, they probably are not copying the meta anyway. I know that Andrew typically makes, you know, his own lists that are his own flavor, and they they might be slightly, you know, they might have some commonalities with the meta, but they're uh, they're unique flavor. I know that um, Leroy Jenkins often goes counter meta. You know, if um, his sister's a battle, everyone's doing Repentia and all this, then he's going to do something completely else and not take Repentia. Now, I don't know if that's the case, but you get you get the point. He'll do whatever's opposite. Um, when Necrons were all shooty and we only had a couple melee units, I love to bring an all melee army of Necrons. People are like, what is this? And I'd be like, yep, no warriors, you know. Um, so people that are better players and better strategists don't rely on someone else's list. And they don't rely as heavily on their own list building. So in other words, if I say, hey, um, Leroy and Andrew, we're going to do a tournament and you can only bring HQs and fast attack. Guess what? They'd be like, oh, okay. They know that all the other players also can only bring HQs and fast attack. So right there, obviously some fast attack and HQs would be better than others in different armies, but we're all under the same restrictions. So a lot of times when I, uh, like whenever I played a tournament, I've never had a single issue with whatever restrictions they put on it because I know I feel confident in my tactical ability. So that brings me to my main point of this conversation is that I feel like a lot of the people that only want to play uh, missions out of the rule book, right? It's that people that me and James make fun of where they're like, oh, what mission are we going to roll? Are we going to roll for a mission? Instead of just making up your own mission, like who the hell cares? You can't make your own mission. There's a lot of people, and I know this from experience, the people that want to roll for a mission and they don't want any restrictions on their army are usually the people that are very tactically weak. And that's my thesis. They are not a particularly good player. They rely on other people's meta lists that other people came up with. And then they basically try to keep the... If you consider like all the synergies and all the machinations of an army, all the rules and mechanics, an engine, all they got to do is keep that engine running and it basically wins itself. And that's similar to like magic. You can do that in magic where it's like an, an infinite discard deck or whatever. You build this engine mechanically and then as long as you keep it spinning, it just does it on its own. You know, every time you draw a card, the opponent discards two cards. And every time they draw a card, they discard three more or whatever. You can just do that if you set it up right. So a lot of these lists rely on cheesiness on the list side 
and the abuse of the rules because they're not very good players. Now, I see a lot of people and, and people that you would consider if you don't look real deep into it, because remember, I've been playing a long time. If you don't look real deep into it, you'll go, oh, man, that guy's a good player. Oh, man, that guy's a good player. No, no, no. What he's doing is he picked all the best things that someone else who's far smarter than him has come up with. He copied that list. And now he's like, oh, this unit's good at that. So I need to do that. And a lot of these list building things online, they tell you how to run the army. They go, oh, well, you bubble wrap the blah, blah, blah with this unit. And then you do this and you take this spell and you take this artifact and you blah, blah. I mean, it's spelled out for them. So people kind of get uh, pride or they get, I don't know what to say, I guess pride, out of winning. But when you didn't, if you didn't really make good tactical decisions, and I'm not going to call out anybody I know, but there are people I know that only bring the cheese and tactically, if you want to throw them off, change the mission. If you want to throw them off, give a list require uh, restriction. If you want to throw them off, just do anything that's out of the norm and all of a sudden, whoa, they don't know what to do because they are living in this little square house of, oh, GW rules, GW this. I follow GW's abilities they give the units etc etc so tell me what you think in your experience now of course i may have people comment and go this isn't right this isn't and remember whoever gets defensive about this probably is not great tactically <laughs> and falls right into this category so this may be inflammatory and i apologize but and it's okay that's another thing too is i'm not hating on people that aren't very good at tactics like i'm not i'm not hating on them that's that's a that's a learned and a partially you know, I don't know, genes or something. It's like a, it's like partially innate and it's partially learned. So don't feel bad if you're not good at tactics. If you rely on cheese lists, that's okay. I'm not hating on that person, but that is what I've picked up through the breadcrumbs of dealing with people that are like, oh, you've got restrictions on your tournament. Well, I'm not coming because I can't bring my 17 mall crushes or whatever, because they, that's the only way they can win is the cheese. And I've known many, many people that if anything, like if you actually watch their individual decisions on the battlefield, they make really bad decisions, but they make up for it for having a really good list that they probably didn't make. And then that kind of counteracts it. So I'm not saying there's not a usefulness to that. I'm not saying that bad players shouldn't take better lists, but that is what I've pieced together after all these years. So you tell me whether or not you agree. Are list restrictions and people's hatred for them correlated with people not being very good tacticians or players? And if you feel so inclined to email me for the podcast, pempcron at gmail.com. And I would like to say thank you to gamet.eu for supporting the show and panhandle.3d.etsy.com. Panhandle3d.etsy.com is who they are. And my beautiful, sexy, slightly moist Patreon patrons. Thanks a lot. I'll see you next week.